Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv on this Tuesday afternoon, which uh, it is very bright outside, unusual for us here in Pennsylvania. We've been getting a lot of rain. I know you guys have been getting a lot of rain elsewhere in Pennsylvania, right, Jeff? You're down there in Exton, and I'm sure you've been getting rain, right? Right, right. I was just, you were talking about how bright the sun is, so I was going to close the shades. But uh, we do have a rainless day today. Yes, very unusual. Scott, how you doing? Good to see you here today. We also have a rainless day, which is good. Right. Are we getting any royalties for the Coca-Cola ads back there behind you? Not not yet, huh? Not yet. Not not yet. Sure. <laughs> Gotta work on that. Stephen Rouse down in or over in Harrisburg. Hi, Stephen. Good to see you. Hey, Drew. Good to be here. And uh, Jonathan Sadler, our webcast engineer. Jonathan, glad you're with us today. Yeah, it's good to see you all again this week. And I'm Drew in uh, Honesdale, Pennsylvania, Northeast Pennsylvania. And we're glad all of you are here today. I hope you're, uh, if you're coming in rather on the Zoom app, use the Zoom app to enter in your text messages or raise your hand with the little hand icon if you want to come in on our audio. And obviously we are broadcasting also on Stephen Rouse's page, Facebook page, where you can enter your comments there. And I'll repeat it again. Most of you know this, and just by anybody else that have not been here yet, newcomers or whatever, there is about a 15 or 18 second delay on the um, Facebook page. So if you're coming in from that route, be a little patient with us getting trying to get back to you. But we're trying to get back to everybody's comments and questions. And today we're going to be talking about something, well, usually we're always talking about something interesting, but I think today we're going to have something that might even raise some more questions. At least we hope we do. We want you to come in with your questions anytime during the program. Just give us your your thoughts, comments, or questions. But today we're going to be talking about death. And the question comes in from Mike. It says, some people believe when you die, the breath of life goes back to God. The breath of life means the spirit. I'm sure he means that. The spirit goes back to God while the body returns to the dust. And we're asleep until Jesus calls us. And some say you go to paradise or torment until judgment day. So here's the question. How can someone be in a place of torment if judgment has not come? Guys, why does one of you guys take it over? Why don't we start with the passage that uh, talks about somebody being in torment when they die, verify what's being said there, and then, and then discuss other passages and ramifications from that. So that's going to take us to Luke chapter 16. And we've got, um, well, it might start with this. Is it a parable or not? Quick survey here. Parable or not? Jeff? Parable. Jeff says it's a parable. If it is a parable, it's an unusual parable because we have some names mentioned. And so it, it seems to, for me, kind of hang in limbo between parable and story. It seems to me that if it is a parable, it is rooted in reality. Um, There's some of the parables that it doesn't really matter so much whether it was a historical event, uh, such as the parable of the sower, which I'm sure there were sowers who went out to sow. Um, but this one where the seed falls on the various soils, the point of the parable is not in the historicity of it. The point is in the illustration. Yes. Um, yes. And, uh, what but what I got to put out, what you said, is that you think the passage teaches limbo. 
That's where uh, I was going to go. Uh, it just it took my thunder on that. Let me, let me clarify. I did not even realize I used that figure of speech at a really unfortunate time. <laughs> All right. So, um, and we won't spend much time on that, but one thing that would suggest it is a parable is the opening words are, there was... There was a rich man. Yeah, a rich man which look at chapter 16, verse one, there was a rich man. Yeah. You know, this is the way a lot of parables start, but then the poor man has a name, which, you know, in the parable of the sower, it doesn't say in the sower's name was Bob. Um, <laughs> all right. So very Jewish name. <laughs> all right. So, uh, but either way, it's going to not every pair, if it is a parable, not every parable is a, double layer meaning um like we often define parables as uh what an earthly story with a heavenly meaning luke 18 9 jesus uh talks about the pharisee and the publican praying and luke introduces it with what words he spoke a parable, parable. It, it illustrated something that was a problem the so, this self-righteous so let's say this if it's a parable it's not to be ignored it, it right. is jesus is teaching truths and whether he's referring to two actual people one named lazarus and the other a specific rich man that actually lived on earth who had several brothers or whether he is uh taking a a fictional story either way it's teaching the same truth right so there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, faring sumptuously every day, and a certain beggar named Lazarus was laid at his gate full of swords. Desiring uh, Scott, some, Scott, some people were just coming in. Can you give that re reference again? Yes, we're in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 19, and we're responding to a viewer's question about death. How can you go to torment before the day of judgment? All right, so we've got two fellows here. Uh, a lot of interesting contrasts in this account, whether it be parable or historical. Um, and the first thing that jumps out is the difference between the condition of the two men. One's faring sumptuously every day, one's laying at the gate wanting crumbs. Um, the dogs come and lick his sores, and what happens to the beggar, verse 22? carried away to the angels to uh, by the angels rather to Abraham's side what happens to the rich man he also died and was buried and then in, he's in Hades being in torment yeah and first let's talk about the word Hades what does the word Hades mean my understanding is it's the, the realm of the dead and so that everyone righteous or wicked goes to Hades now, it's kind of unfortunate in Greek mythology, Hades is the god of the underworld, and people usually associate the word Hades with hell, that uh, only the wicked go to Hades. But biblically, Hades is more the idea of the grave. And so the righteous go to the grave, the wicked go to the grave. But we are going to see that there's two different conditions of souls that descend to the grave. Yeah. Uh, and, and it might help to understand Hades if we think about the Old Testament word, uh, if you have an Old Testament passage, and then in the New Testament it's quoted with the word Hades, what would the Old Testament Hebrew word have been? Sheol. Sheol. Jacob. 
Jacob said that uh, when his brother, when his sons brought this coat to them, they dipped it in goat's blood. They'd sold Joseph, the owner of the coat, to uh, slave traders, and then they bring the coat to their father and say, "Is this your son's coat? We found it." And he assumed his son was dead, and he said, "I will go to." Translations often say the grave. Uh, but he says, I'll go to Sheol in mourning for my son. I'm yeah. going to go to death. I'm going to go to the grave. And he yeah, doesn't mean I'm going to torments or I'm going to hell. He's going to the grave, going to where the dead go. So yeah. let me clar- clar- clarify that for a second. So you're saying that Hades does not necessarily mean torment or paradise. Right. Right. Like when, when Jacob said, I'm going to go to Sheol in mourning, uh, it means I'm I'm going to be sad about this until the day I die, yeah. until they bury me. Right. Um, and that's the Old Testament word that when passages like Psalm 16 are tra- translated in the New Testament in the Greek, it's the word Hades. Like Jesus' soul was not left into Hades. All right. So, but this fellow is in Hades, and he lifted up his eyes, and he is in what? He's in torments. That's the condition. And he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. He cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his uh, finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Abraham said, Son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, like manner, evil things. But now... Here he is comforted, and you're in anguish. Besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, that they that would pass from hence to you may not be able, and none may cross over from thence to us. And then the rich man has a suggestion. So, I mean, yeah, first he had a request, a, a, a drop of water. Now he has another request and suggestion. What is that? He, he wants somebody to go back and warn his brothers who are still alive. Um, the reference here is down in verse uh, 27. He said, I pray thee, therefore, Father, that thou wouldst send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they come unto this place of torment. So what we see is life continues on earth while right. this rich man and Lazarus are both dead. Right. So we're not uh, at the... We're not at the final judgment yet. We've not gotten to the time when the great white throne judgment takes place, uh, the picture of the sheep and the goats being separated. That hasn't happened yet. In fact, at the great white throne judgment in Revelation 20, one of the things that happens is verse 13. Well, let's start. We're going to come right back to Luke 16, but let's just read that about the great white throne judgment. Revelation 20, verse 12. I saw the dead the great and the small, standing before the throne. Books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books, according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead that were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. They were judged every man according to their works. And death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so the realm of the dead and the graveyards and everything outcome out to people to be judged at the judgment. But prior to that, and um, as Jeff made it clear, while this man's in torment, his five brothers are still on earth. 
because he wants them uh, back there. So I think it'd be interesting. We'll talk a little bit more about this uh, account here of Jesus and talk about some of the things emphasized in it, but focusing first on the caller's question, how can he be in torment if the day of judgment hasn't happened yet? So my thought is, is simply this. I think when we think of the day of judgment as a day at which God and those being judged are going to find out which way we're going. That's not what the day of judgment is. Um, that's, it's really more of a day of sentencing. Uh, right. But we, you know, we've already, our fate has our, I hate to say fate, but our lot has already been cast. Once we die, we either die in the Lord or we die apart from the Lord. And if we die in the Lord, then uh, we're going to have part in his resurrection unto eternal life. Um, if we die apart from the Lord, we're not. We're going to be like, like this rich man, and we're going to be in torments. We're going to be in a state of, of suffering uh, immediately. But in the day of judgment, there is a sentencing. I, I like to call attention to Romans, the 14th chapter. It's just a little simple statement here. Romans chapter 14 and verse um, 10 and 11 Thou, why dost thou judge thy brother, or, or you again? Why do you set it not your brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. And so then each one of us shall give account of himself to God. But that's not to say it's at that point that God figures out. It's at that point that we have to acknowledge God's judgment is right. And we, we're going to have to fall down and acknowledge, God, you're my creator. You've condemned me. You're right. Or God, you have justified me in Jesus Christ, and I give thanks to you for it. And a simple way to illustrate that would be if you have somebody that's, uh, uh, let's say, uh, just committed a terrorist act or something, and the police grab him, what are they going to do? Do they put him up at the Hilton? <laughs> no. <laughs> you're going to jail. And yes. if you've done something serious where you don't deserve bail, you're going to sit in jail until a trial. Uh, and after the trial's over, you will go back before the judge for sentencing. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes he will talk about the time served already. You know, uh, so and you sometimes at sentencing, there are victim statements that are made or read at yeah. the time of sentencing. Mm -hmm. And uh, so giving account for the things done in the body. Here's what yep. you, he's already guilty. Yep. Now we're talking about this is what you did, and this is why you're going to have this punishment. John, Let's did, look at the, uh, go ahead, Drew. Before you go, Jonathan, did you have a, a comment you wanted to add or a question or something? Yeah, so just uh, clarifying what, what Jeff said. So at the point of physical death, I guess we'll, we'll get to this on what exactly happens to the to the spirit or the breath of life. Um, is that is there kind of, uh, I'm trying to think of the right word to say, almost like an awakening or an, or an awareness where we're now aware of, of the spiritual things that are going on and there's no denying that. And so the torments that could be being experienced by the rich man in Luke 16 is just the realization that, oh man, <laughs> now I know that I was wrong. And, and he hasn't been judged in that way yet, like we're talking about in, in Revelation. He hasn't received the judgment of God yet, but he's fully aware of what's going to happen to him. Is that kind of the what we're saying here? I think it's well, a little bit more than that. I think it's more than that because he's actually in torment. It's, it's not just yeah. the awareness of it, but he is experiencing the mm -hmm. torment. Yeah, he's asking for a drop of water 
for relief now, and, and, and it's pointed out to him, right now, Lazarus, verse 25, remember that you in your lifetime, you received good things, Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. Now, here he is comforted, and you are in anguish. It's not just that Lazarus knows some future day he'll be uh, comforted, and it's not just that the rich man knows some future day he'll be in anguish. Now, there is anguish in his realizing his state, um, but it describes him as being in anguish at that point. Uh, and let's look at the flip side. Um, not only Lazarus here, but the caller also asked about, mentioned that some people say you go to paradise. And we've got a very clear reference to that in the Gospel of Luke as well. Where in the Gospel of Luke do we see somebody dies and immediately goes to paradise? Somebody read that for us, please. Well, Jesus is on the cross, and there's this conversation um, with, between Jesus and one of the thieves who are crucified along with him. And uh, the thief says, uh, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, verily I say to you today, you shall be with me in paradise, which is interesting because Acts 2 speaks of Jesus not being left under Hades. And, and I take that to mean Jesus was in Hades. He was in death. He was in the realm of the dead and, and overcame it. Yes. Um, but he can also be said to be in paradise. And then I think of those who died in, in the book of Revelation, in Revelation the sixth chapter, they're dead, but they're being comforted. They're being given white robes. They're being told to rest. So uh, they're dead. They've not been raised from the dead yet. We're not at the day of judgment yet. Right. But there is a comfort, which apparently here is in Luke chapter 23, included in the term paradise. In fact, in, in, in Revelation 6 there, it's souls under the altar. It doesn't seem to be that they've got their resurrected spiritual body yet, but they're, they're at that time souls under the altar. Uh, just a side note on this real quick. Um, there are some who, who teach that Jesus went to hell for three days. And uh, it's kind of unfortunate that in Psalm 18, excuse me, Psalm 16, it's quoted in Acts 2, the King James Version translates that word Sheol we talked about earlier, translates it as hell. So the King James says, uh, for you not abandon my soul to hell. Um, But the better translation is you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, nor let your Holy One see corruption. And so the notion that Jesus went to hell for three days, I don't think is a biblical picture of what happened. I think that Luke 23, 43, this passage we just read, is clear evidence of that. He says to the thief who acknowledges him, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Yeah, with and me so, in paradise. Right. And so they were both in Sheol or Hades, the grave, but Jesus and this thief were in paradise. Whereas we see the rich man Lazarus, they both went to Hades or Sheol, but one was in torment and one was comforted at Abraham's side. Yes, and part of that confusion did come, I think, because people were looking at the King James, which had an unfortunate translation there. Uh, and just to help people understand that, there is a word in the New Testament, Greek word that means hell, that's translated hell, and that's not the word uh, in Acts 2. And so the Greek word for hell would be what? Gehenna. Gehenna. Uh, and that is not 
the, the Greek word in the text where it says in, in Psalm 16 that Peter quotes on the day of Pentecost. The Hebrew text of the psalm was Sheol, and the Greek text behind our, our uh, English translations here for Acts is Hades. All right, let's, let's touch on this for a minute uh, before we leave Luke 16. So if, if somebody wants to take everything here as, well, there's, none of this should mean very much to us because it's just a parable. Well, if it's a parable, what's it illustrating? I, it's, if it's a parable, it's a parable in the sense of Luke 18, 9. Two men went to the temple to pray. One had a right attitude. One had a bad attitude. What right. does that mean? That one had a right attitude and one had a bad attitude. Um, if this is a parable, it's showing one man that was ungodly and goes to torment and one man that's godly and goes to comfort. Um, uh, but what about the degree of literalness here? Uh, like, for instance, it, are we required to take everything in this text literally? So I want to throw out two questions. And I don't want to get into too much speculation here because I think that's a dangerous thing. Uh, but question number one, if somebody looked at the Old Testament prophecies of the Messianic age and insisted on everything being literal, would they have necessarily gotten the right picture of what was coming? No, the Old Testament prophecies of the Messianic age spoke of keeping the Sabbaths. They spoke of uh, the house of God, the temple, uh, using the physical temple as the way to talk about that. The Old Testament prophecies spoke in terms of the Old Testament outward physical things that the Jews were familiar with to characterize the coming spiritual kingdom of God. And then in this passage, are there some things that if we insist on a fully literal understanding of them, that would uh, be difficult to understand or... We've got a finger and a tongue mentioned, and the yeah. finger, uh, the, the tongue of, of the rich man is rotting in the grave. It's probably right. eaten up by maggots at this point. Yeah. Um, he's, he's not down there wanting a drop of water brought and put on that tongue. <laughs> yes. And as a ex-fireman, volunteer fireman, I've been at scenes where people perished and been at scenes where someone's still in the flame. And let me tell you, one drop of water, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it, it, one drop of water, somebody said, yeah, you know, one drop would make a difference here. I think in, there's, there's a lot of back and forth here illustrating things. While they're on earth, the rich man is described as what? Oh, he's been rich and comfortable. He received good things. Yes. And Lazarus is just wanting a little scrap. After they die, you see how it's reversed. In fact, that's what Abraham is pointing out. He said, you know, it's the opposite now. Now he's comforted. And now we find the rich man asking for just a little bit. And I think the point of it is, no, the time for mercy was when? In this lifetime. For, for yeah. Death. And his hope for mercy later is, you know, no, you don't even get that little bit. And, and, um, if, and if I could just real quickly, just tie it into yeah. the overall context here. It's, it's this concept of the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Yeah. This concept of using this lifetime to prepare for eternity rather than wanting it all now. You have the yes. 
unrighteous steward in the first right. part of Luke 16, who illustrates that point. You have the Pharisees being highlighted as lovers of money in the middle of the chapter. Right. And then you come to this parable where, look, here's a rich man. He had it all in his life. In the next, look what kind of condition he's in. And here's yeah, this he's, poor he's beggar. wishing for a drop. And then you have this poor beggar, and he didn't have anything in this life. And look what he gets in the next. Right. So it's that kind of a lesson. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And don't hope for it to change because there's a great golf fix. Right. Yeah. Thing, and, you know, ahead, Stephen. and something else I've thought about from this passage that I know some people have found unsettling is the, I, the thought that people in paradise can kind of look over and, and see people in torment and vice versa. Cause there's a kind of the conversation going back and forth here. Um, and well, what if my loved one, you know, ends up on the other side of that gulf. Like, how could I ever be comforted in paradise knowing that they're over there? I don't have the answers to all those questions. But again, there's parts of this that I don't think we need to press too literally and get caught up in those details. And we need to be kind of careful with that. Also, in the description, it mentions that the rich man can see Lazarus, but it doesn't mention that Lazarus can see the rich man. Hmm. No, interesting. Um, can hear another thing is there's a couple of ways that eternal punishment is described by Jesus. In this one, he says thrown into the fire, you know, or he's in anguish in the fire, which is a common uh, reference uh, uh, he, when he separates the sheep from goats into eternal fire. But at the wedding feast parable, the wicked are cast into outer outer darkness darkness. Neither of these things is somewhere I want to be. You know, the idea of being in fire would be miserable, but imagine who was it uh, on one of the Apollo missions. One of the guys went around the backside of the moon and, uh, and imagine if you got back there on the backside of the moon and lost power oh. and just started drifting off into space yeah. or you stepped out of the space shuttle and you, you, you dropped your keys. <laughs> you <know? laughs> It doesn't drip out of darkness. I, I hate it when that happens. Yeah. Both of these are images of something we don't want. Uh, and so we should be careful both not to over insist on literalization. Like if you're expecting, I know exactly what heaven's going to be like. Golden streets. Streets made out of gold. And I know exactly what hell's going to be like. There's more than one image to describe that. And... You know, you could pave a street with gold if you were a big enough billionaire, but that wouldn't make it heaven. Yeah, it's transparent uh, like glass, too. Let me, though, bring real you back in, because yes. you're clearly talking about what is going on after death, but you're not yes. to the point about how we experience that before judgment. And you might have said it just for a brief instant, but then you went, you didn't, you didn't clarify. Oh, I, I thought we established that and then moved on, but yeah, we'll get back to it. Yeah. So we established that he was in torments while his five brothers were on earth. Right. And so it's before the day of judgment. And that as Jeff pointed out at judgment is where the sentencing comes for the things done in the body. But as you can see in a legal case, you can go to prison and, and be in prison for a good while and suffering from that before you go to the judge for sentencing. Okay, so, so yeah, you, 
you did cover it. I just wanted to make sure and emphasize it more. And then, and then we went elsewhere, yeah. And we also illustrated that with uh, the rich man, with uh, the thief on the cross paradise. But before Jonathan, I, yeah, Jonathan, go ahead. Oh, go Yeah, And then and, back to Drew. Yeah, and this may be a, a good time. We had a, a question come in or a comment um, to maybe tie this all in together um, on, on exactly what's happening here. Uh, Jack Nunn asked on Facebook, uh, in First Peter 3, 18 and 19, talks about, uh, after Jesus died, he went preaching to those souls trapped. Uh, how would this fit into this topic, uh, the souls that are trapped in prison? What's Does that fit into what we're discussing here, the conversation oh, about hating? But, yeah, I just want to say first, hi to Jack Nunn. If that's the Jack Nunn that I'm familiar with from years ago, hi, Jack. But anyway, go ahead. Answer that question there, Scott. And I'm guessing this is uh, the Jack Nunn that you're thinking of is probably this Jack's grandfather. Oh, I'm not and that so, old. No, 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 no. Maybe father. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So this Jack is in his early 20s. Okay, no, um, definitely not the one I... Okay, okay. You're thinking of Jim well, it's, his, it's his grandson, though. No, I'm, <laughs> you I'm knew thinking Jim, of, and you knew his grand... And you knew Jim's father, probably. No, I know Jack. I remember Jack from Fairlawn years ago. Yeah, that's Jim's father. And okay. then this Jack is Jim's son. Okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah we're, we're getting into the nun genealogy now. <laughs> <laughs> Can you retitle the the web <laughs> the, the, the genealogy of the So for Jack, we have not touched your question yet, but we have talked about oh, what generation. So are we saying that Jack is the son of none? <laughs> yes, was Joshua. I'm pretty he should sure. have been named Joshua. So Jack is so Joshua. First Peter three eighteen and nineteen. <laughs> Go ahead, bring us back down there, there Steve. Yeah, yeah uh, let me, so, let, let me yeah. just read that really quick just to put it in context. First uh, Peter three eighteen says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh and being made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to spirits in prison. That aforetime had been obedient and the long mm-hmm. suffering God waited in the days of Noah were in few mm-hmm. that is before you get to that question, because it's a little bit, then we are leaving the topic of the question at hand, but I wanted to make one other observation about that parable story, whatever you want to call it. You notice in that last sentence in verse 31, he says, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I find that interesting. Obviously, we could refer to that being Jesus Christ, but isn't it interesting that this story has a man by the name of Lazarus? Right. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And what did the Jewish leaders want to do? Kill Lazarus. Right. Right. Came back exactly. back in the grave. And, and that, Drew, is exactly why I believe this is probably a parable. But the point is often made parables don't usually have names in them. People say this would be the only parable that has a name in it. But that could be a reason why there's a name in this. Jesus uses the name that is the name of a man who very soon after this will actually be raised from the dead and people will not believe. And they want to kill oh. him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, so, and and of course, not to be raised from the dead. But. Right. All right so before go, ahead. We get, go ahead. What? what? Before, we, before we get to 1 Peter 3, just so that we can hang our hat on a few things, that we put a, put a nail in some things here. Um, let, let, let me just ask some questions real quick and everybody can just fire off the answers. So um, when we talk about the state of the dead uh, before the, the future resurrection from the dead, 
but as soon as we die, our, our, our righteous people in a condition of comfort. Yes. Yes. Passage? Luke 22 and Luke 16. Okay. Uh, and we could throw in there Revelation chapter 6, and we could throw in there. A very, okay, let me ask another question. Uh, when we die, if we're righteous, are we with the Lord? I yes. believe so, yes. Philippians, Philippians 1, it's far better to depart and be with the Lord. Okay. Um, when, as soon as we die, if we're righteous, have we at that moment already achieved the resurrection from the dead? No. That happens when no. Jesus comes back in the future. Passage. Okay. I would First say Second Corinthians. Corinthians 5, maybe. Yep, both of those, both of those. Okay, so I think the, the, having those things in mind, people yes. go into this discussion with the idea, of, well, Hades is a place of torment, and it's a place where you don't know. Whether, no, that, that, those assumptions are wrong assumptions. If we understand Hades is the realm of the dead, when the righteous are dead, they are comforted, they are with the Lord, and really I think it's helpful if we can get away from geography. The Bible yeah. is speaking about the next realm using geographical language, great gulf separating the two. But it's kind of like you were making the point earlier, Scott. People in the Old Testament had the Messianic kingdom described to them in language they could relate to. We have the afterlife described to us in geographical language, but I don't believe it's really so much about geography. There's a room over here where the righteous are, and there's a room over there where the wicked are. It's really a state of existence. And if it's a state of existence, I can be with the Lord, even though I have not had that victory over death yet, even though I've not been raised from the dead. And so I think that's a helpful distinction to make. All right. Yeah. We'll those in. And parallel to that point, it's helpful to think about even forgiveness is sometimes described in terms of geography. He has separated our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He's cast our sins into the depths of the sea. Actually, you heard somebody argue one time that you had to be baptized in a river so that your sins could make their way to the sea. Oh, if they're in a pond, oh. they, they, they an like, isolated right. landlocked pond, they never get right. there. Right, and that's an example. The Jordan River doesn't flow out to the ocean, though. <laughs> right, so, yeah, so there's all kinds of problems with that. But that's an example of taking geographic language about something that's real too literally. Yes. And so it the same by the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea. <laughs> it's full of sense. Ooh, the Jordan River does not flow out to an ocean. When you asked that, I thought, well, all rivers flow to the ocean, but the Jordan River doesn't. That's right. Ah. Okay, that's a tangent. Never mind. Anyway, we have avoided Jack's question long enough. We did try it. We did try it. On his genealogy and age, we've tried everything. So let we read the passage. Uh, let's begin with mentioning a few different interpretations of the passage, and then you guys comment on the one that you think is uh, most likely. Okay. Um, so what are some common interpretations of this passage where it says that Jesus being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Um, Repeat the passage also, again. Repeat the reference. First Peter 319. Uh, after saying in verse 18, first Peter 318, that he'd been put to death in the flesh made alive in the spirit king james had made by the spirit um and then the next verse says in which he went also went and preached unto the spirits in prison that aforetime were disobedient in the days of noah 
So what are some possible uh, common interpretations of this verse? Well, I think that the one that Jack mentioned is the idea that Jesus, in some form, during the three days that he was physically dead, went to spirits that were locked up somewhere um, and preached or proclaimed to them uh, in some way. And, and this has to do with Jesus, almost the idea of him going to hell or something like that. Um, okay. And that's, that's one way that some people take this passage. So it, if we fit it with Luke 22, then we would have Jesus die, goes to paradise with the thief. Then he goes and makes a proclamation to the spirits in prison. Some would view it as he's offering the gospel to them. Uh, others would point out this is not the word euangelion, evangelize. This is more of a proclamation or a statement, so it doesn't wouldn't necessarily mean invitation. But that's that's one interpretation. Wait, wait just real quick. When you say Luke twenty two, are you meaning Luke twenty three? Yes, yes. Thank you. Okay. Thank All right. you. All right. Um, or actually, I meant Luke twenty two, perhaps because I was forgetting. So, <laughs> but I was wrong. It should be Luke twenty three. Yeah. Okay. You talk uh, about the uh, conversation with the thief on the cross. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Exactly. All right. So, what's another possible explanation of this verse? Well, uh, one other explanation that some would hold to is that the spirits in prison are not, uh, they, they are the spirits of the people who were disobedient in the days of Noah, but when Jesus preached to them, they weren't yet spirits in prison. They were at that time being disobedient, and Jesus preached to them through Noah, who was described as a preacher of righteousness. So, so basically, the difference between these two is, is it talking about what Jesus did through Noah back before the people died? Or is it talking about what Jesus himself does after he dies to the people who were alive back in Noah's time, but are now in spiritual prison? And that's the idea that the New American Standard tries to steer people towards uh, because they've inserted an extra word there. Um, I can't the remember how. Now in prison, I believe, is where they put so, that. That he preached to the spirits that are now in prison. The preached spirits now in prison. So now they're in prison, but he had preached to them in the days of Noah is the idea. Now, before going further, let's note two passages from Peter that would be used to support that idea. One would be 1 Peter 1.11, the prophets of the Old Testament. It says in verse 11, it talked about the spirit of Christ, which was in them pointed and prophesied to. So you have Old Testament prophets, God, Christ preaching through them um, in Old Testament times. That would be kind of like Christ preaching through Noah in Old Testament times. And then we have in 2 Peter chapter 2, where's the verse? Um, yeah, verse 5, it said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Yeah. So if you put those two ideas together, if Noah was a preacher of righteousness and the spirit of Christ was in him, so the way the New American Standard puts the verse, it would be that Jesus had preached through Noah, the spirit of Christ, to those that are now in prison. Um, any other possible but, interpretation? But he wasn't preaching, to, just so it's clear, I, understand, I want to make sure I understand what you're saying. He wasn't preaching them while they were now in prison. In that view, no. It means it means that he's pre he had preached back in the days of Noah to the people that are now in prison. It'd be kind of like this: if you now this is I guess turned out to be perhaps a legend, 
But if somebody said, when President Washington chopped down the cherry tree, okay, now if you said, yeah, I think that really did happen, you don't mean that while he was president, he chopped down the cherry tree. You're using a designation to describe who he was later and talking about what he did at a different time. And so it would be saying he preached to those people and now they're in prison, but he had preached to them. I might That's- say, I know, I, I, I play, I, I play basketball with a guy uh, who is in prison or I played basketball with a guy who's in prison somewhere. Well, I played with him before he was in prison. It'd be that. Right. Idea. Right. But there's this other idea, which of course takes this to mean Jesus, when he is in the grave, when he's, but during the time he's dead, before he's raised from the dead, he is either, uh, some would say, making an offer, a last-minute offer to people who have died uh, so that they can be saved, or he is not making an offer to them, but he is proclaiming to them um, the fact that he has died for sin and he's going to conquer death, and this is what they've missed out on, something like that. Another interpretation is the Jehovah's Witness interpretation they would say that this means, verse 18, Jesus was put to death in the flesh, and because Jehovah's Witnesses uh, don't believe that life survives consciousness, life, or the soul survives death, just dead and did not exist for three days. And then he was resurrected, they would say, as a spirit. Um... And I don't remember what they say about verse 19, though. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, of course. I, I don't know what they do with verse 19 because they don't believe there are any spirits in prison. Yeah. So and and the, prim- the premise that they're starting with, we've already seen is false. They're starting right. with the premise that once you're dead, you cease to exist. There's no consciousness of you because you, you, you have no consciousness because you don't exist. And right. we've already seen in looking at, what's taught in the story of Lazarus and the rich man in Luke 16 and, and what's seen in revelation, the sixth chapter and what's seen in Luke chapter 23, this day you'll be with me in paradise that we are conscious after we're dead. Right. We need to talk if we have time about the the word sleep, the word sleep, because people say, well, no, the Bible describes the dead as being asleep. And so there's, so they're unconscious, which just, just, just talking about the words, sleep doesn't mean unconscious. If I'm, if I'm sleeping, I'm not unconscious. I, I was very conscious all night last night. I should tell you about the dream I had all night long last night. But uh, with respect to anybody who had walked into the room while I was sleeping, I was in a different world. I had no interaction with them. Um, and so the dead are that way. We don't have any interaction with them. So from our viewpoint, they're asleep. Well, John, you might, you, in, in your sleep, you might have been on a plane, but your body was just laying there. Uh, back, to the, back to Lazarus, Jesus wanted to wait a few days before going to see Lazarus, wanted to make sure well, Lazarus was dead. And the apostles, when he said to the apostles, well, he sleeps, so we've got to go get him. They said, well, if he's sleeping, he'll just wake up. And he goes, no, he's dead. He goes, yeah. Yeah. dead. In that sense. Yeah. All right, but in our remaining time, does anybody want to venture a uh, your inclination of the best interpretation here on First Peter three? No, <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know what to make of this passage. I I for a long time held the view that it's talking about preaching through Noah, 
Um, I have seen some strong, a strong case made for the idea that, no, actually, it's talking about Jesus proclaiming, making an announcement to the dead, uh, not offering them a second chance, but making an announcement to the dead so that those who've already died understand uh, something about they made the wrong choice. Here, Jesus has come and taken away sin and is conquering death, something to that effect. It's but, also well, interesting. It's also interesting that in chapter 4, we have this expression, for unto this end was the gospel preached even to the dead. Uh, and now, how do you take that dead? Spiritually dead, physically dead, and everything. So, so which way do you take? So which way do you take? I'm not, I'm not certain. This is one of those passages, we've got one statement about it, and it, it, it might go uh, this way or that way. If we had another passage on the same thing to lock it in, uh, for instance, we know from Luke 23, he went to paradise. Does that mean he didn't do something else? And so I, I wouldn't be dogmatic about uh, which way to what go. What do you think, Stephen? I always think about this passage when I read the end of Second Peter 3. And Peter says that Paul wrote some things that were hard to understand. And I said, <laughs> look at the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think about this passage. Uh, uh, Jeff, Paul Jeff, tweeted. Me... Paul tweeted the same thing as soon as that passage. What do you think, Drew? Are we out of time? What do you think, Drew? You gonna well, get yours in? Well, you had said something, but if Jesus went back to let them know about that, then that means they didn't know that when they died, and so therefore they didn't know their outcome. I think they know their outcome. I think they know they're in a bad way, but they're going to, with that view, they would come to gain some understanding as to why they're in a bad way. Maybe. Oh, okay. Um, okay. That's good. That's good. Uh, but I, I don't, I don't know. I really don't know what to make of that. I, I don't either. I don't either. All right. Well, thanks for the question, Jack. Yes. And, Jack, and Jack, yeah, we, tried, we tried to avoid it, but we didn't. All right, guys, thank you very much, all of you. Looking forward to see. We've still got some good questions coming in. We'll get them to them next week. And if you're on the podcast listening to this recording, please go to BibleQuest.tv and bring in your questions to us from that point also. Thank you, everyone, and have a, have a good week. Bye-bye.